Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. We're going to do a little bit of an automobile thing. <laughs> well, yeah. That was my, my crash, car crash mouth sound. Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I liked it. Also, it was uh, it was like a test of a car crash, maybe, right? Perhaps, yeah. yeah. And I'm no dummy, and uh, neither are any of uh, you, Ben Bolin, and then uh, super producer Maximus to the maximum. At least not yet. Our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. <laughs> yes, still stuck around because he has egregiously weird taste in friends. Uh, <laughs> you are Noel, I am Ben, and today we are talking about crash test we're talking about cars it's it's nuts man cars are uh no i might be a little more into cars than you are but i love them dude and i know you love them you just took a road trip recently yeah i like driving them they get me where i'm going <laughs> okay wait. so wait we're not doing the whole episode about that once there was this kid who got into a couldn't go to school <laughs> When <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that one. We're not doing that one. But we, I, I think we got past our legal department with that impression. So we should be good to go. Look up the band Crash Test Dummies. Mm-hmm. Epic. Uh, they are referencing a thing that happens in the real world, which is when auto manufacturers, for many years and in the current day, when auto manufacturers are trying to foolproof their products, their cars, they build out human-shaped mannequins, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And those are meant to provide invaluable, potentially life-saving data about what happens if something goes wrong. If a car gets in a crash, how does the airbag work? What about the three-point seatbelt? How how do we save lives? That's what they're trying to ask. That's right. And weirdly, uh, this these these things, these life-saving um, creations, spawned kind of a weird pop cultural moment, like in the 90s. Sure. I don't know if action you figures. Yeah, yeah, action figures where the head would pop up, like Rock'em Sock'em Robot style. They had a cartoon show there was for a, a car- I think it was the cartoon came first, and then the action figures were based around the cartoon, like often is the case. But but yeah, they were designed, their heads are, they're bald, and they have these kind of like targety looking things on their heads. And mm-hmm. it, what an odd thing. Uh, I don't think it really lasted very long. That's why I said moment. But um, I had some of those figures and there were play sets you could get where you could like simulate the crashes. And all and they break stuff. apart, which right. I thought was the coolest part There was of a it. button, their arms and legs would just yeah, pop yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, so you could test your crash as a child. Uh, but the the thing is, we have to, understand that 
for a lot of people, a lot of our fellow ridiculous historians in the United States, the automobile in the post-World War II era represented an unprecedented amount of freedom. Right. Yeah. And and represented a, uh, a death trap of sorts before the advent of some of these technological advancements in auto safety that we're going to talk about today. One hundred percent. There was an active and arguably uh, continuing conspiracy on the part of automotive companies and people who have money in them to make sure that the American public was consumed with the benefits of that mobility and were not thinking about the consequences of putting just anyone behind the wheel if they got a little driver's license. Automobiles, and this is per a great article in the Smithsonian, automobiles placed speed and power in the hands of individuals. And as a result, during the dawn of the automobile, and I say this as a guy who, my first show was all about cars. It was called Car Stuff, everything that floats, flies, swims, or drives. Automobiles led to a huge, like an epidemic, we could call it, of traffic deaths and injuries. And then, to your point, Noel, people started asking, well, what about the drivers? How do we establish guidelines for the behavior of all these drivers? How do we design better automobiles? How do we make better roads? How do we get around traffic hazards? And this comes to the world of safety measures. And when people started talking about safety measures, well, they started doing crash tests. And we're not talking about the divisive film Crash with James Spader. Yeah, or the other divisive film crash that won all the Oscars and is now largely considered trash, uh, starring Matt Dillon and a bunch of others. Um, ben, I just was looking this up because the question popped into my head. Uh, when were driver's licenses required? And it wasn't until 1934. Yeah. And the Model T was invented in like 1913 or no, 1908, rather. Oh, eight. So yeah. that's a big old gap. So there was a period where it was like, Anybody could just hop into one of these things and go to town, literally or figuratively. Yeah, they didn't. I like that. I think uh, you got poetic at the end of the sentence. I like that because the, uh, you know, the technology, like any other emergent technology, was not super common. For a time, these things really were called horseless carriages. Today, we're going to talk about how auto manufacturers caught on to the idea of putting human-shaped things into their own vehicles and then wrecking those vehicles to see what would happen. So <laughs> here we go. It's the dawn of the 20th century, right? Mass market automobiles are a thing. Henry Ford is making a lot of money and he's definitely, definitely uh, <clears throat> supportive of the ideals that will later launch the Nazi party in Germany, just to give you a sense cool. of the lay of the land. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Those are like his two things, cars and anti-Semitism. And not safety. That was not his third thing. Well, he's the type, dude, he's the type to be very opinionated and you couldn't naysay Henry Ford. These are two true stories. Uh, he did one day say you can have any version of my car you want, so long as it is painted black. <laughs> you can have any color car you want, so long as it's painted black. And then one time, his own engineers built a prototype that improved upon the Model T, and he ripped it apart with his yeah, bare hands in front of them. Super forward-thinking fellow. Uh, I mean, look, obviously he was a forward-thinking fellow, but sometimes folks like that can kind of get in their own way where they're forward-thinking like once, and then they just can't see the forest for the trees in terms of like other people's input. And history is is, uh, is full of folks like that. Uh, and Henry Ford was definitely one of them. Ben, I love your point about you can only have, you, you can have whatever kind of car you want as long as it's painted black. It really wasn't until much later that choice in automobiles even became a thing in terms of it being like a stylistic choice. Like, I want a red one or I want this or that or the other. That was a much later kind of innovation. 
Actually, if I can jump in here real quick, we have an ephemeral episode about that somewhat. It is our trash episode where it's people realize, oh, if we sell things in multiple different colors and cars was one of the examples that our guest had. And the reason why is like, okay, you sell them in different colors, people will buy them more. Because mm-hmm. it's seasonal, maybe even, right? Oh, this is the hot new one for this season. And that means they become more uh, disposable, where you got to get the newest and hottest one. And then they start just making little tweaks to designs that kind of encourage people to want to keep up with the uh, the, the Joneses or, or, or Smiths or whomever, whatever last name. Do please check out Ephemeral. I think it's a it's a podcast that in full transparency, all of us have participated in. Max and his brother Alex are some of the masterminds of that show, and I think it's something we're all very, very proud of, uh, for good reason, by the way. And so, anyway, here we are. Automobiles. They're faster than horse-drawn carriages. They're faster than a bicycle. They're also, by the way, I should say, to the earlier point about Henry Ford, he did not invent the automobile. Uh, He revolutionized the assembly line, and that's Ah, he did so much other weird stuff. Check out the car stuff episode about Fordlandia. It's nuts. It's like a three-part series. This, anyway, what I'm saying is Max beat me here. This fucking guy. Beep. Yeah, I mean, it's just true of a lot of folks of that stature. Like Elon Musk likes people to think that he invented Teslas, <laughs> but that is not the case. Nor did he invent PayPal, nor did he invent Twitter. But he, you know, guys like that kind of write the history books uh, to a certain degree. So people associate Henry Ford with inventing the automobile. And to your point, then, uh, that's just not true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just not the case which is not to take away from what he did for the automotive culture in the United States. Thank God that was one of his two upset. That was the one of his two obsessions that caught on. So all the people who are watching these safety problems, they say it really goes down to our drivers. How competent are our drivers? Their behavior determines whether an automobile is an efficient A to B or to Z kind of thing, or whether it is a menace. And, you know, look, these people, we're not calling them dumb. These people were coming from a world where one of the fastest ways to get around on your own, where you're driving, would be a horse. And if the horse doesn't like the vibe, the horse is not going to keep going. The horse is like a check and balance thing here. And if you don't have that horse, you just have, wait for it, horsepower. Mm-hmm. I will take the womp womp on that, Max. Oh, you you, you <laughs> shall have it, my friend. And uh, horses also, last I, I checked, don't drink alcohol for fun. Um, so, you know, I mean, maybe there might be other intervening uh, drunk factors. Drivers, right. yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, that's a people point. are fallible. People mm. are inherently, I mean, not to say that horses are like, geniuses or anything, but they kind of do the one thing and they kind of do it well. You know what I mean? And by large, they are teetotalers. So, no, what you're saying is that they're a, a one-trick pony? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or a one-trick mare, uh, or a one-trick filly, whichever one you got. Um, mm, but, but again, they, they do, and you know, horse technology hasn't really changed. You got your blinders that just kind of make them go straight and not get distracted. And with uh, things like that, you can kind of mitigate the horse getting spooked and all of that. And, and that stuff, short of like a bad-tempered horse, pretty mm. predictable. But yeah. people, when given that power, oh, that power, that pedal to the metal, uh, not as predictable. This is also, you know, there's a great point to be made about how the horses did not necessarily consent to this. Hell no. And they were not paid. Uh, the thing is, there, there's this vast, you could call it a conspiracy. We might touch on it later. There's this vast movement amidst automobile manufacturers to put the onus of safety and the consequences of lack of safety on the individual drivers, not on how the cars are designed. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Automobile ownership becomes increasingly common in the 1910s, the 1920s, and we begin to see this emergent safety advocacy culture. You know, people are saying, look, if you're driving a car, you're endangering yourself. And I love that point about people who are driving inebriated. Uh, you're also endangering the rest of the community who is just probably walking around. There's the National Safety Council that comes about. Then they're focusing on the human factor in automobile accidents. You see the emergence of things called safety leagues, and they do PR campaigns. You know how, like, you hear cars for kids jingles these days uh -huh. about donating your car? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, not toys great. for tots, cars for kids. Stuff like that. Yeah. These, uh, these campaigns took the place of that, and they were attempting to make both drivers and pedestrians, people walking, pay more attention in traffic. The federal government is throwing money at state and local governments to try to get everybody on the same, the same broad page about traffic laws, law enforcement. You know, they, they were saying, look, if you drive one way in Los Angeles, you should have relatively similar laws in New York City. Right. And to your earlier point about emergent technology, which is totally what this is, moving at such a fast pace, it's a pace 
that far uh, exceeds the pace of government. Uh, and it happens every time, you know, with, with regulations like surrounding the internet, for example, and all of that always lags the government response. And we're literally talking about a new technology that required a vast infrastructure overhaul, you know, of roads and bridges and all of these things that, that did not necessarily need to be a certain way with just horses. You know, you could have these dirt roads and all of that stuff and, you know, narrow lanes and probably wouldn't uh, end up with, with massive numbers of fatalities. But once cars get introduced, that stuff isn't going to fly anymore. <laughs> yes, it's not it's gonna going drive. to fly. It's going to drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, zing zing. <laughs> zing zing. Zip zap zap. Uh, we actually like improv here. Mm-hmm. As for, uh, sorry, my cat's knocking some stuff over. Uh, and Mr. is. Vankman. Doctor, excuse me. Excuse me. Doctor Vankman. Yeah. Dr. Vakeman, also apparently a shareholder in some of these places we're about to talk smack about. So keep it all in, Max. Uh, So you see things where manufacturers of autos are attempting to put the blame on anybody but themselves for a little bit. And one of those is some one instance of that is something, Noel, you and I talked about, which is the idea of jaywalking. I think we mentioned this on stuff they don't want you to know. I definitely did on car stuff. But what is jaywalking, Noel? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially crossing the street illegally. Uh, that's what it's become, but it really more referred to kind of just the culture of walking in general of pedestrians. And it was sort of like a term of abuse. And the idea was to malign the humble, uh, pedestrian in favor of getting them out of the way of automobiles and, and, and moving more towards a highway and byway based uh, system of travel. Bro, you nailed it. Absolutely. hundred percent. Just so uh, the idea there was to put the blame on people who are, as you said, just walking <laughs> and, uh, and Max, uh, who is our research associate for today's episode Max came with the facts. Yeah, we're going to do it. Who's that sneaking in the phone? It's Max! And he's full of knowledge just for you right now. Here he comes. It's Max with the facts! (laughs) Okay, awesome. Max and Moose with the facts and Moose. Uh, So Max found uh, this, this great comment, this great observation that Americans, people in the United States, were slow to understand the importance of redesigning the automobile itself. Stop blaming the victim. Stop blaming that pedestrian. Try to make better cars. And by the late 1920s, manufacturers finally admitted, oh, maybe we could build a better car. And they uh, they said, okay, Let's make windshields that don't shatter as dangerously as quickly. Let's maybe put brakes on all the wheels instead right. of just like two. And, uh, you know, maybe we can build better better systems all around. And then they said, oh, also we can sell it. We'll be selling the safer cars. And they still do that to this day. You know, uh, stats like that about, you know, rollover rates and whatever, what have you. And certain cars like Jeeps, for example, or, or Land Rovers do kind of get a bad rap for some of that safety stuff because they do roll over more easily. But, yeah, I mean, safety even now is is a big thing for family cars. Your dreaded uh, Honda Odyssey, for example, very safe, you know, for those inside, not necessarily for uh, the, the, uh, the enemies of Honda Odysseys. I know what you, I uh, okay. I'll play your Ranger games. <laughs> it's okay. Isn't that the car that, that has been following I you? I do not care for them. Yeah. Okay. You know I have a Honda Odyssey, right? No, you do not. No, it's CRV. Okay, thank you. You're good. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah, man. sorry. I just my heart just jumped <laughs> in my chest. I don't know how much of that pause we're gonna we're gonna edit out, but but yeah yeah. As Noel knows well. Uh, I feel the way about Honda Odysseys that you feel about birds. Yeah. I I respect their right to exist, I should say. Whatever. <laughs> Far beyond. <laughs> I'm just well, laughing. Birds aren't real, Ben. And Honda, Honda Odysseys, unfortunately, are very real. Painfully real. They'll find you. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, so far before the Honda Odyssey, far before the Honda company gets into manufacturing troublesome minivans, we see that automakers wanted future customers to know that their cars were safe. And they said, look, we're improving roads, we're licensing drivers, we're regulating traffic. That's really what's going to stop accidents from happening. We're putting in seatbelts. There's a guy named Niels Bolin, no relation. His last name is spelled B-O-H-L-I-N, who probably saved more than one billion lives with his Jeez. yeah, with his uh seatbelt innovation. So That's people, incredible. That's a great stat. <laughs> to yeah. have under your belt there. Yeah. Your seat belt. <laughs> <laughs> also worth it. You're on fire today. Uh, so they a- added these things or they knew they would be around, but for a lot of the time, these weren't in your typical mass market cars. Instead, they decided, they being the auto manufacturers, they decided to throw bodies at the problems and they started literal bodies right didn't they use <laughs> dead bodies for a while or oh, like cadavers I remembered that from a past conversation and probably from that car stuff episode but I'm like is that true that is macabre but yeah man oh it's true it gets Give it nuts you you got it man let's 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 get there let's take the long way you know let's take the surface street rather than the interstate the first crash tests were done on unoccupied vehicles. How did that even work? Yeah, it seems like that would favor the manufacturer more than the consumer, maybe. You know what I mean? Like making them more durable or something. But actually, they wouldn't want them to be more durable, would they? They want people to buy new ones. But yeah, I'm a little perplexed as to how they thought this was a great idea and how they would measure success, you know, in these tests. Yeah, and it kind of built off that. I know one of the safety features they really marketed early on was all steel frames because like when like tests like this, if an all steel frame got in an accident, it'd be like, oh, look, there's no damage in there. But the problem with those was it basically just like was like putting humans into a like a shaker and just shaking them up. Mm-hmm. And so, that, like, yeah, to, to your point, no, like, I don't, I don't see how this would do anything testing them. You just see, oh, the car can survive that impact, but no idea on how the people inside would do. Yes, yeah. they, they, they seem to have realized that relatively quickly, uh, and then they pivoted. <laughs> right? Yeah. In their in their early days, auto manufacturers would conduct crash testing by literally having some guy sit in the driver's seat, shotgun the thing. And then jump out of the moving car, you know, and do a very cool, like, evil Knievel stuntman yeah. roll away right before it hit. Well, I hope when that the, that method stopped being the thing that that person at least got good work as a stunt driver in the, in the movies. Quite possibly. And you know what? That's a great story for an, a, a future episode. If we can find them, let us know, ridiculous historians. Eventually, though, they say, look, we need a body in the car. We need the bodies to hit the wall. So they started using animals. And then the floor, perhaps. Right. They used primates. They used bears. And I'm sorry. They, I yeah. just, I picture, it's just a I funny know. image. It's, 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 it's horrible. I mean, these weren't alive, were they? They used Berenstein. Berenstein it's like the worst Berenstein Bears book or Berenstein Bears book ever. Uh, I think the bears were alive, man. They also used pigs. How they wrangle them? Did they like uh, sedate them or something? Yeah, that's I would imagine so. Bears are pretty clever. Yeah, I'd always be getting those picnic baskets, you know. Um, and you know, to 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 that point, Ben, primates, pigs, bears, similar organ matrix. <laughs> let's just say layout to to the human form. Yeah, the thoracic and abdominal organ structure in pigs, especially, is similar to humans. So. While they were testing on these living creatures, they said, all right, let's be honest. It's not bears driving these cars. That'd be terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Can you you imagine imagine? bears, cocaine bears, perhaps, driving around willy-nilly in automobiles? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine one driving a Honda Odyssey? That's the scariest (laughs) thing of all. I can't. Oh, I just spooked myself. 
I'm telling you. <laughs> You're gonna leave this whole positive. I love it. It's triggering for you. That what? Who hurt you, Ben? Who? Well, I think I've heard the story. It's been a long time, but the Honda Odyssey. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, they're out there. Even now, <laughs> one may be heading toward you. Uh, so <laughs> the the thing is, they realized quickly. Okay, using live mammals is all right, but it it's not getting us all the way there. We need a better solution. So in the 1940s, the history of crash test dummies begins. It comes from Uncle Sam. It comes from the Air Force. They were testing these mannequins in ejection seats. We do not know whether they were shooting off bears in ejection seats first, but... ah, It'd be a story. It'd be a story. Good origin for a cocaine bear. The first dummy, so far as we know, was created by Sierra Engineering Company and Alderson Research Laboratories, named after the founder, Sam Alderson. And they gave their first dummy a name, Sierra Sam. Ah, yeah, Sierra Sam. Sounds like a real cowpoke. Um, In 1968, uh, Alderson debuted that design in like a public kind of display, right? Um, Specifically, you know, of of automotive crash testing. Um, It was known as the, uh, the VIP, which does not stand for very important person. In this case, stands for vehicular impact personnel. Now, VIP was around as an an acronym, an initialism, Mm -hmm. uh, by about 1933. It wasn't common until after World War II, but just so everybody knows, they were having a bit of a nod and a wink there at the idea of VIP. Yeah, and and, and now there's another steel cage involved here, and this is to simulate the human rib cage. They had a steel rib cage articulated joints like you might see in like a, a puppet, you know, um, like a, even like a stop motion puppet where they have those armatures, those metal armatures that can be, you know, flexed and all of that stuff. Uh, speaking of flexing, a flexible neck and other cavities that were designed to hold measurement tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea was, according to the American Physical Society, that one could mimic the acceleration and weight distribution of what they considered to be an average male. They later expanded and they said, well, what about bigger people? You know, what about people who have a larger height or a little more weight to them? And then they said at some point, oh yeah, what about women? Very late in the game. Women? What are those? (laughs) <laughs> said the engineer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And up until the 70s, these crash test dummies were built and designed by third-party non-governmental companies. And that all kind of uh, took a turn when General Motors decided that they wanted to internalize these processes because they didn't think the folks that were building these were doing a good enough job, which is kind of cool. Because they were taking it upon themselves to to make improvements to mm-hmm. these to these processes, uh, presumably to increase their safety. Uh, but again, safety also is now a selling point. So it's not all benevolent here. You know, it's like they that becomes a com- a competitive edge if you have the safest car. Because this is in the era of like consumer reports and you know a lot of that kind of stuff where people are getting a little wiser to these sorts of things, you know, and and insist on safety for their families, things like that. And by the way, a lot of this is coming to us from the history of crash test dummies over at AAA by Andrew Sheldon. Uh, and this is pretty recent. This came out about a year ago. Is that, would that be AAA? That like, would be AAA. Like, like the car club? Okay. Yeah. If everybody's typing it out, though, mm-hmm. you need to yeah. get the three A's. Uh, the second A leads you to the other problems we were talking about earlier, which is alcoholism in cars. So the uh, the Hybrid 2 comes out in 1972, and this is an improvement, right? It's the same thing, but a little bit better, a little more nuanced understanding of human anatomy. It also provides consistent crash results. Mainly, they want to test seatbelts. They, they want to figure out how we can understand what happens to the head, the neck, the limbs, across all 
you know, sort of human shapes. So they're trying to be inclusive of different sizes, different genders, different ages, and so on. You know, obviously, a six-foot, three-inch, 87-year-old dude is not going to react to the crash the same way that, I don't know, a six-year-old girl would. And I think, it, you know, back to the Crash Test Dummies cartoon and action figures, this played into that because there were like kid ones and like old lady, you know, there were all the different ones and that that gave them their kind of cast of characters. So that followed from this, uh, this change, this diversification in the actual Crash Test Dummies themselves. For sure. And GM has a, a third hybrid in a burst of creativity. They call it the Hybrid 3. And it has 41 separate data channels. The Hybrid 2, by way of contrast, had about eight. So researchers could measure precise injuries to different parts, uh, different weak points in the human body. And originally, the Hybrid 3 was supposed to impersonate an average male. In the 80s, they started including what they called large males and small female dummies. 1984, they introduced child models. Little tiny, like, kawaii uh, <laughs> versions of crash test dummies. But as we have been teasing for most of this episode, eventually, they decided to go past the imitations and stick with some original bodies for testing. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like I said, I kind of thought that maybe I had made that up in my uh, my sick imagination, but not the case. They they get to a point where they're like, like you said, well, nothing's really better than the real thing. Kind of like the way they made you like dissect fetal pigs and cats in in, in high school, <laughs> despite any uh, misgivings. Uh, actually, you could probably have opted out of that. I bet if you got a note or if it was like for religious reasons, perhaps. But maybe um, nowadays, nowadays. But back then, it was you'd get chastised. The website Ethics Unwrapped which is a service from the University of Texas's McCombs School of Business, actually has a case study on uh, this. Uh, and it's, enti- it's entitled Cadavers in Car Safety Research. And here's a little, little snippet. In 1993, it was widely disclosed that research engineers at Heidelberg University in Germany had used 200 adult and child cadavers in simulated car tests. The researchers argued that the use of human cadavers was necessary to study the actual effects of these crashes on the body. They insisted that the research would save lives because it would help engineers design safer cars. And, and as we know, you know, Germans are known for their engineering prowess and their, you know, manufacturing Ooh. and German cars are some of the best out there. So I would argue they probably were right, but it's a really bad PR look, isn't it? Um, I think was it was it like a big kerfuffle when it was, this came out? It, yeah, yeah, it was not a good look. I mean, using cadavers in this way, it wasn't something they made out out of whole cloth. It's not a new thing, and it's still not gone completely. Since the 1930s, back when researchers at Wayne State University were throwing bodies down elevator shafts, every part of a car touching on safety benefited in some way from testing with cadavers. Uh, We see that Ford, for instance, everybody knows Ford, and they are good cars. Look, I dunked on Henry Ford. I have dunked on Henry Ford for many years. I drive a Ford Escape right now, and it's a pretty good car. Well, I got a good deal. Whatever. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so they, uh, this company was promoting what they called their inflatable rear seat belts in the 2011 Explorer. And the Explorer, for anybody playing along at home, is nicer than the Escape. I'm that cheap. Uh, so Ford says this gives you five times the protection of a conventional seat belt. But if you look at their promo and their PR and stuff, you'll see that they don't really like to publicize the fact that dead bodies were used in the development of that seatbelt. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not something you come right out and, and advertise. But here, here's the perspective from Priya Prasad, who's a former chief uh, safety researcher at Ford uh, on this very subject, saying it's still very important, even though we have very good math modeling of dummies, human modeling hasn't reached that state yet. Meaning there's still not, the, the modeling is still inferior to using the cadavers? Uh, yeah, there's not a way yet to I see. run human a modeling. simulation. Got yeah. it. Now I get that. That makes sense. So now, of course, this is something that uh, publicly, at the very least, automakers kind of want to stay away from because it is such a PR nightmare. Uh, a Swedish researcher in 2008 told the Expressen newspaper that General Motors and Saab were using cadavers in research, uh, and the companies denied it. Yeah, and it seems like they're legit there because they don't have the resources, the infrastructure that you would need to conduct a successful crash test with a cadaver. But you know who does? A lot of your favorite universities, the old NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, right now, as you are hearing this, if you listen in the United States, they are funding multiple cadaver tests 
per year. And some of those schools also get funding from automakers. Yeah. And this kind of makes me think of like the red market kind of stuff that we've Mm -hmm. talked about and stuff they don't want you to know, or body brokers, you know, and all of that. That's much more of a stuff they don't want you to know topic that we've covered in in various uh, iterations. But it's like, who are these bodies, right? Unclaimed John or Jane Doe's, which is just the term that's used for, you know, unidentified bodies that are found. Is that is that right? Or people that have maybe donated their bodies to science, quote unquote? Right. Yeah, people who donate their bodies to science and don't have a, a clear understanding of how that body would be used. You might think it's being used in cancer research or something like that, not knowing that it is just stuffed into a Honda Odyssey and driven at a wall. <laughs> oh, the humanity, the humanity of it all. Uh, gotta feel not great, by the way, too, for whoever has to clean these experiments up. True. And also we have to ask, is there a greater good argument? If you are, if you are donating your body to science and your body provides data that helps build a better car, that helps save other people's lives, is that not a noble thing? I mean, for, uh, a spokesman for Ford, a guy named Wes Shorewood, said that most companies are moving toward digital modeling if they can, because it's way, way more cost effective to do a bunch of computer simulations than it is to do one test with a human corpse. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the people that maybe have objections, that, well, first of all, there is the, we talked about this on the Stuff They Don't Want You To Know episodes, you can't tick a box and say, I want my body used for this, but not this, this, but not that, you know? Um, so there should be a bit of a eyes, op- eyes wide open thing when you're deciding to do that in the first place, because you can't pick and choose. So it's kind of fair game. And really, in this situation, nothing truly nefarious is happening, right? It's 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 not like they're getting these illegally or they're, you know, right. doing something nasty behind the scenes. But I think the people that object to stuff like this is probably on religious grounds where it's like, this is in some way, you know, unclean, you know, mm-hmm. to use the human vessel, the human temple in this, in these ways. I mean, what's next? Let's be as cold as these folks. What's next? Do you check the box about where your body goes and then you check the car you want to be tested in? Like, I'm okay with being used, with my body being used in crash test, but it can only be in the newest Maserati. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. These hips shall no Honda Odyssey touch. <laughs> right. Right. Don't put me, don't put me in anything other than a Porsche, etc. Uh, there's good news, though. Albert King, who is a professor at Wayne State, has been working in cadaver research since 1966 and said the school had fallen off with their testing in recent years. They used to do like one cadaver a month. And at the time of his interview, he was saying they do no more than maybe a handful every year. And this this comes to us from something published in 1995. So several decades have passed. But I said, there are benefits of this work. And he's on record in the Journal of Trauma for this. And he said the that safety- That sounds like a fun read, the yeah, Journal of Trauma. Yeah. If, you're ha- <laughs> if, if you're hanging out one afternoon and you're like, my day is going too well, check out the Journal of Trauma. <laughs> They're doing important work. It's just kind of a downer. And, uh, and Professor King estimates that the safety improvements made by these tests up to 1987 saved at minimum- 8,500 lives a year. So that's not as many as the guy that invented the seatbelt. No, no, not as many as Niels Bolin. No relation. I wish. But, uh, but it looks like that there is a decline in using bodies to test auto accidents, as we can see in how cadavers made your car safer from wired. There's not too much to be done now, improving safety inside of a car. Noel, you remember those, uh, like you see them all the time in movies from the 40s and the 60s, those uh, steering wheels that had like a the head of a torpedo. 
mm-hmm. in the middle, just facing mm-hmm. yeah, the driver. Yeah, great for impaling a right. whole face, you know? Yeah. That, that stuff's done. That stuff's done. Airbag tech is pretty good. You know what I mean? Right. It will save your life. And uh, again, you can't really do much with the design of what a car is. A car is what a car is. But we've gone far enough along in the in the evolution of this technology that there's certain things that just you hit a ceiling and it's a good ceiling. In this case, it's a safety ceiling that even the cheapest of cars, you know, are going to be relatively safe to to occupy. And the next logical step is going to be addressing human error on the side of the driver. And that's, that's the whole dawn. Conversation. Yeah, the dawn With of the autonomous, autonomous cars. Vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof, are you excited? I don't know, man. And again, you know, you've talked about this on car stuff too, where like a, a big part of a reticence from some about autonomous vehicles is less about. Yeah, sure, the safety of it's great, but also, like, it kind of eliminates car culture in a certain sense because people like cars because they go vroom vroom and they, and they allow you. But then I think what will happen is that'll become more of a niche kind of interest and you'll still be able to drive them on tracks. But, you know, I get, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. There could become a future where it is illegal for you to drive yourself on a public roadway. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite possible. And then you go to the greater good argument. But this this is a story for a future episode of Ridiculous History. Right now, we just want you to know, one, crash test dummies, definitely a thing. Two, a lot of those were dead bodies of actual human beings. And or, or drugged up bears. Or drugged up bears, but not cocaine drugged up bears. I feel like a bear on a lot of cocaine. I've never tried cocaine. I don't endorse it, but I feel like I feel like uh, a bear on a really active drug would probably bad news. Be, be a bad able news to steer bear. the car yeah. a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah, it'd be a bad news. Just bear from flailing around, they would yeah, absolutely. No, not not a good not a good situation there. Uh, and, and we're going to get into a little bit more uh, tangents and trivia kind of stuff. But I did want to point out um, the crash test dummies uh, cartoon. It was like a, a special. It was just a one time aired thing. And it wasn't like cell animation. It was really oh. bad. 90s CGI kind of like oh, computer it animation. The whole series. It wasn't all series. The, it oh. was the action figures were the action figures, and then there was a series based on the action figures. So I had said I thought it was maybe the other way around, yeah. which is often the case, like with He Man and Ninja sure. Turtles and all of that. Sure. But um, some well, of the names Ninja Turtles was a comic book, comic first. book. But then there was the cartoon, and then because of the cartoon or the action figures in the cartoon were kind of hand in hand. But the characters' names were Vince and Larry, who were the main guys. Their vehicles they all came with a vehicle. Yeah, but yeah. The crash car with Dash. I guess Dash is like a, a little guy, maybe. Um, Larry had the student driver car with Axel. That was their, their passenger. Yeah, then yeah. you have Daryl, who drove the crash cycle. Did uh, they have a dog? Did they have an animal? I bet you Dash was maybe the animal. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing. But I don't know for a fact. I'm, not, I'm just looking at this list. And then we had Spare Tire, which I'm guessing was a fat joke because he, he seemed a little oh, heftier than some of the skinnier oh, ones, boo. Vince and Larry. Uh, it also drove a crash chopper, which is sort of like a biker gang kind of thing where you yeah. picture like maybe, you know, a spare tire is a slang for like a, a belly. And then you had Skid the Kid who drove an ATV, which uh, I thought was was fun. That's uh, and then cool. you had a, a pair, Hubcap and Bumper, who had a crash lawnmower. Oh, yeah. Well, you get in situations. Yeah. You do. Uh, sorry. I've got to stop saying you get in situations. No, nah, man, it applies. <laughs> I think it works. But it, all right, whatever. Uh, but uh, we are going to return next week with some uh, with some deep dives into the history of turn signals, uh, and we hope you join us for that. In the in the meantime, maybe Noel to the point about tangents and trivia, we take a second to shout out uh, some horrific. Highway safety films. If you're having too good of an afternoon uh-huh. and you've read the Journal of Trauma and you think I'm still feeling too nice, maybe you should check out these films. That's right. Uh, one of the most infamous of these was one called Signal 30, which is funny because I didn't know this, but there was a band uh, in my hometown. There was like a kind of a punk scene there, and they were this punk band called Signal 30. Um, and that was the name of a... Uh, 
traffic safety scared straight kind of video. Mm -hmm. They used real accident footage to show the results, like faces of death style. Right. Um, but also there was a uh, a weird pro car bent to this. There was almost like propaganda where it put the onus of blame on the drivers uh, and not the automobiles. And this was a time where th some of these cars still maybe left something to be desired in terms of safety, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I also want to shout out, I want to shout out two things that our show is very biased about. The first is an excellent documentary called Hell's Highway, the true story of highway safety films by our pal Brett Wood, who has also made a number of early fiction shows with us before before our parent company really got into it. So check out Brett Wood's work. And also, while you're there, you'll want to check out, Max, I hope I, I don't make this awkward for you, you'll want to check out Ephemeral's excellent work on these highway safety films. Uh, Max, as we wrap up today, could you talk a little bit about that to give people a heads up? Yeah, so there was this weird phenomenon that happened because of so many kids in the 50s being subjected to these awful films like Signal 30, where like these things, if you look at them, you watch them, they're basically like, they're horror films. The faces of death, when that was yeah. a thing, where you'd see like suicide, you know, faces bridge of jumpers, death. horrible yeah. things like that. Being yeah. an anthology of clips of real deaths. Yeah, so they were very, very... Not for children. Called honestly. video nasties sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That was a fun, a weird term that was used to describe some of these types of snuff adjacent films, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we went down this rabbit hole a couple of years ago and we talked to uh, Dr. Bernice Murphy, who is an author and a professor. And she wrote the book, The Highway Horror Film, which is just talking about like all these films come out. Like some of the films like Psycho is often attributed to this, like this genre of film. Huh. But how how so? It's a motor hotel that people stop oh, at. Oh, it's a road movie. Yeah, I got you. Okay, interesting. I didn't think about it. So, like, in the film, maybe there would be someone that was, like, on a road trip, and then the horrific event happened. Mm -hmm. There's there's a couple. I, I believe there's four different types that she outlines. And one of the types is, like, you're now in the middle of nowhere, but these areas that you weren't able to access before, but now because of cars, you're able to access these areas and stuff. Hell, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of falls under that, uh, exactly. that banner. Yeah, The dark side of the great American road trip, for mm -hmm. sure. That's, that's right. I did not think about that. That's super interesting. And I got to get Carnival Souls. Uh-huh. That's one of your favorites, I know. And, that, and that's where we're going to, because, you know, this whole episode that we have Dr. Bernice Murphy on is about Ridiculous History Hero. Herc Harvey, who yeah. did a number of highway safety films, yeah, especially did. did a lot of drunk driving films mm -hmm. at Centron Films, where he worked for like 30 something years, but he also did Carnival of Souls. The funny thing is, Carnival of Souls is really, if you think about it, a highway safety film because it's kids <laughs> being reckless driving. <laughs> yes. And they drive their car off the thing. And I think uh, Skip Elsheimer, who's our other uh, our other guest on that episode, he 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 outlines at the very end by saying. Uh, drive safe, kids, or your soul will be tortured as you slowly descend to hell, or something along those lines, which is basically the plot of Carnival of Souls. If you haven't seen Carnival of Souls, watch it and get ready for all the organ. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of organ, uh, and there's a lot more to discuss in the history of the automobile. Now, Noel, uh, you, Max, and I are going to call it a day with a great thank you, I think, to, to our research associate and super producer, Max, as well as to Alex Williams, who composed this slap and bop. Who else would you think? Indeed. Oh, man. Yeah. Slapping away over there. Um, we'd also like to thank Christopher Asiotis here in Spirit, Eve's Jeff Coates, our boy Alex Williams. You already said that, but I just want to say it, no, say it twice. So nice you say it twice. Jonathan Strickland. Uh, we're going to see him in person really soon. Uh, we're going to South by Southwest. Is that true? Don't want you to, yeah, he's going to be there. He's, he's going to be there. Mm, all right. We'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, thanks to you, Ben, for, for we, we, we're kind of our own Larry and Jerry. What were their names? Uh, Vince and Larry. You yeah. do a crash test dummy references? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, I botched it though. No, but, you nailed uh, it. You nailed it. This is awesome. Uh, tune in. Uh, tune in soon, everybody. We are going to debate turn signals and I'll probably talk trash about BMWs. 
We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.